The Bible lesson for today is written in the second chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 1. It's on page 813 in the Bible provided in front of you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up your mat, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Such a joy to be with you here this morning. If you're new here, if you're a guest or visiting for the first time, my name is Steve and I'm one of your pastors here and I hope that you have felt loved and welcome here among our church family this morning. How many of you, may I ask, uh, would you raise your hand? Did you make a New Year's resolution this year? We're halfway through January. Anybody make any New Year's resolutions? I thought it might only be a few. Okay, put your hands down for a second. Now, let me, now raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution or you didn't really make an official New Year's resolution, but you kind of have a goal or something you want to do better or hope for in 2020, but you're like afraid of New Year's resolutions. Now all the hands go up. Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. I think maybe I'm in the same boat somewhere between the two groups. Uh, one of mine is just about eating healthier this year, which mostly for me just means eating less. Somehow I'm a middle-aged dad who still thinks I can eat like a 13-year-old boy or something like that. The self-awareness is stunning, really, in my life. The second one, this, this year, 2020, is also Amy's and my 20th wedding anniversary, or it will be in August. We got married in 2000, so it'd be easy for me to count, so that's how we do that. Um, but, uh, yeah. but Amy and I have told each other that we want this, I want to pray and work for this to be the best year of our marriage yet, so we're praying and working for that, I imagine many of you may have other kinds of hopes and goals also for this year. I think as people, we generally are drawn toward hope. We, we want to see something get better. We want to do better. We want to see the things around us get better. What I'm particularly interested in experiencing, what I'm interested in understanding, what I want to know for myself and share with other people, is I want to know where is the hope when the obstacles that we face or the hills that we're climbing are just frankly too big for us. They're just really beyond what's inside of each of us. Where is the hope then when we're up against something that's bigger and stronger than we are? I wanna know about that kind of hope. 
And I want to, I'm interested in knowing, I want to experience for myself, I want to understand, and I want to be able to share with other people, where is the hope when the obstacles that we face, when the problems that we face, is not only out there somewhere, but even when it's in here. (laughs) Even when the problem is inside of me or inside of us, then where does the hope come from? I want to know about that kind of hope, and I want to experience that and be able to share that hope with other people. And I think that the story that we just read from the life of Jesus from 2,000 years ago, I think has an awful lot to say about that kind of hope, when the problems are bigger and impossible for us, and even when they're inside us. And not only is that a story from the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but I think that story actually has an awful lot in common with the way that we continue to experience the work and the leadership of Jesus in our own lives, even today. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I think that's what we'll see in this story. So let me try to explain what I mean by this. When this story started today, we read, we read this story from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the biography of Jesus according to Mark. We started in chapter 2. This comes, as you will not be surprised to know, at the end of chapter 1. And chapter 1 is kind of like Jesus' rock star tour. Like by the end of Mark chapter 1, Jesus is super famous. At least in the region, the kind of small region called Galilee. He's been going around from town to town and synagogue to synagogue and place to place and bringing healing to some people's lives and declaring the truth about God. And by the time we get to the beginning of Mark chapter 2, at the beginning of our story, there's a big crowd that has come. Jesus has come into a house, and there's a huge crowd there. Uh, some people say, in the, in the story, it says Jesus came home to Capernaum. Some scholars think that it means literally Jesus came to his own house. Have you ever thought about what Jesus' house might have been? There are other verses that say the Son of Man maybe didn't have a home, so we're not entirely sure, but it's a provocative thought to think that Jesus might have come into his own house. The crowds are gathering there at this house, and I think the reason is because the word has gotten out. They are there because they have learned that there is hope and healing in Jesus, that he's the one who brings the hope to them. And I wonder, as I read this story, if maybe they found out about it from the leper, And you might be wondering, who do I mean by the leper? If you were here last week, one little part of the story that we read together told the story of a guy who had leprosy or some kind of skin disease in the first century that would have made him an outcast that was painful and contagious. And Jesus brought healing into his life and restored him to community. He said, go to the temple, show the priest that you're welcome back, but don't tell anyone about this. I think Jesus said, don't tell anyone because then I won't be able to get in my own house again because the crowd, like the word's gonna get out so fast. It's going to be so impractical. They're going to misunderstand. But the leper exercises radical disobedience to Jesus. And Mark chapter 1 says he went out and spread the word and told everybody that he could find. And the leper, I think, may be the world's first greatest evangelist. He said, this is what Jesus did in my life. That's evangelism. This is what Jesus did in my life. This is the good news. And as a result, Jesus comes to his hometown in Capernaum, and the people are crowding, and they can't even get in the door. I think people came because they knew there was hope and healing in Jesus. Maybe the leper told them. Maybe they had just been hearing from weekend to weekend Jesus on Saturday, on the Sabbath day, teaching in the synagogues of the area, telling them about God and the dawning kingdom of God. This is what God is really like, and this is what God is doing And Jesus taught them, the Bible says, with authority and not as one of their scribes. There's hope and there's healing in Jesus. The crowds knew it then. And this has been my experience in my life with Jesus also today. When I think about the way that Jesus has worked on the insecurities or the guilt or the weaknesses in my heart, 
and how it is that only by opening those up to Jesus have those things been healed inside of me. When I think about how I sometimes react out of defensiveness or guilt or shame when I get kind of pushed back or punched in the mouth, not usually literally, but maybe metaphorically, you know what the instincts of my heart are like, but when I submit the kind of vengeful responses that come up in my heart, it's not me that heals those things that are wrong inside of me. It's Jesus who's brought healing to my life. When I hear from his word, when I read his teaching, when I hear from his spirit about the direction of my life and what decisions I'm making and what's going to be important in my life today and this week and this year, I'm usually wandering all over the place. It's Jesus who heals my heart and heals the direction of my life. It's my experience that there's hope and there's healing in Jesus. I think that's why we crowd together into Jesus' house today, why we come into his presence. We come here for the hope and the healing that comes to our lives, even against things that are bigger than us and even against things that are inside of us. We come into this place and we bring our sin, we confess our weakness and our disobedience to God and our commitment to hurt one another. We call this sin. We confess these things before God knowing that in Jesus we will hear the good news of his grace and forgiveness and that this is healing for us. We come here to pray together. We come here many weeks to gather around the Lord's table together. We come here to hear the good news of God's kingdom because we believe this, that there is hope and there is healing in Jesus. The second thing that I see in this story about where hope is found, hope that's bigger than the problems that face us and hope that's bigger than the problems inside me, The second thing I learned from this story and experience with Jesus in my own life is this, that sometimes our friends have to carry us. Sometimes our friends have to carry us, right? It's kind of obvious in the story. When the story opens, there's this huge crowd that's all gathered around whatever home it is that Jesus is in. So much, there's not even any room there by the door. But there's this paralyzed man, a man who suffers from paralysis, and he's got four friends who carry him on some kind of mat or stretcher, and they carry him to Jesus, and they can't even get through because of the crowd. So they probably went around to the back of the house or something where you wouldn't normally be able to get in, and they climb up on the roof because they are so confident that Jesus can do something and so desperate to get what Jesus can do in their lives, they climb up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof of Jesus' house or whoever's house this is and they lower him down in front of Jesus. Sometimes our friends have to carry us. Sometimes there are physical barriers that come between us and getting to Jesus in the presence of his people. Sometimes you might know there are language barriers that can prevent us from getting to Jesus, and a community has to carry the word of God to us and carry us into the presence of Jesus. Sometimes there are real serious hardnesses in our own hearts. There are barriers inside us that say, Jesus is over there, I'd rather not him wreck the thing I have going on, and we have a barrier, and our friends in community will carry us to Jesus. I think, and I'm gonna say more about this in a few minutes, but I think that the world in which Jesus lived didn't often thought, first of all, about how a community shared life together before it began thinking about each of our individual lives. And it's so often the way that a community of followers of Jesus together, it's very often the way that Jesus works among us in our relationships and our pattern of life together that demonstrates his work to the world, that carries him to one another. We experience him in community. 
Let me give you two examples of this that are on my mind today. One, actually, I'm going to get to show you a video in just a second. It's a, it's a testimony video. It wasn't actually made for this message in particular, but when we were talking about it together uh, as church leaders, I, I thought, man, it just is such a great living example of this truth that sometimes our friends carry us to Jesus. It's a testimony uh, from our ESL, that means English as a Second Language, partnership, the classes, ministry we have. Hundreds of people are here every Tuesday and Thursday night as we work in partnership with Sun Ministries. And this is a story of a woman named Erica who has experienced, who, who to whom, or I guess who the community carried to Jesus and how she now participates in that. But I can't tell her story as well as she can. So let me let Erica tell you her story. Go ahead, guys. Thanks. It's oftentimes the way that the Lord Jesus works in a community and in the things that we commit to together and they need you and me, we need you and me. The second example that really comes to mind for me and has marked me so much over my life has to do with the experiences that I've had in environments that most churches call small groups and this goes back in my Christian life, 20, 25 years of experiences like this and I, I think about the times that people who have become very dear friends and brothers and sisters to me have shared both the joys and burdens of life together, and we've, and we've carried each other. I think about times when we've, some people have shared pretty scary diagnoses for themselves or for their children or for the people, their friends or families, and how we carried one another to Jesus through those times. I, 
In reflecting on some of these experiences just today, I, my mind was really drawn powerfully to one particular young married couple who was, was in a small group with maybe five years ago or so, experiencing a kind of crisis in their marriage that, that honestly and, and unfortunately, over the course of my experience in ministry, they were at a point that's past the point that most people call the point of no return. And a lot of times I don't see healing in that situation. But they were willing to share that with this community of brothers and sisters. And the community rallied around them, the, this, this small group rallied around them in really sacrificial and prayerful and powerful ways. And this couple was willing, they were vulnerable enough to allow themselves to be open and to be carried. And I think the community carried them to Jesus. And Jesus did a work of healing in them, softened their hearts and brought them back together in a way that, in my experience, frankly, is a a miraculous healing. And I have become, over the course of my life and my Christian life, a huge believer in the power of Christian community because of the very things that I learned from this passage here. Because I believe that there is hope and there is healing in Jesus, and because I know that sometimes our friends have to carry us to him. There's one more thing that I'm learning in this passage And it's one that I think I'm kind of in the midst of learning. So I kind of want to think out loud with you. And maybe we can learn from the scriptures together. But the third thing is this. It's the way that Jesus, by his forgiveness, creates a community of forgiveness. Where this happens in the story, of course, is kind of obvious, right? These friends, they, they let their friend down. They, they lower him down somehow in front of Jesus. He's paralyzed. He's on the ground in front of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. There are a lot of us, had we been there that day, who might go, um, uh, Jesus, that's not actually the problem here, right? I mean, can you see? He's right there. But Jesus is, has this remarkable ability to hold together both the spiritual and the physical, where I think so often we like fall off one side of that horse or the other, where we think like Jesus is all about meeting and healing the physical things in our lives or the structures in our world, and it's kind of horizontal and physical. Or there are other times we swing over to a different side and we're all about the spiritual and the forgiveness and the vertical. And Jesus is so good in teaching us about the kingdom and embodying the kingdom to us. And these things, they belong together. And Jesus does both of these things for him. He says, your sins are forgiven. And it strikes me how bad most of us are at forgiveness And I don't even mean offering it. Like, I mean receiving it. We're so bad at forgiveness. I see Christians, people in general, and even Christians, settling for two different alternatives that maybe we swing back and forth past forgiveness on the way there, and both of them are so much less than forgiveness. One is underestimation and rationalization. It's just not really all that bad. I mean, I told a little white lie. I'm not that bad of a person, whatever. And I think we live a lot of our lives here. Or, every once in a while, we somehow get a glimpse of the crushing weight of our sin and realize just how selfish we are and what a jerk I am and and then comes way over here and now I am overwhelmed by the crushing burden of my guilt and what a loser I am. Both of these things are lies in their own way. One is that sin is not a big deal. That's the lie. And the other one is the lie that Jesus hasn't done something about it. And forgiveness is so much better than both of these things. The truth of forgiveness is so much better. The truth is that you are more sinful than you probably like to think about every day and also definitely more loved than you usually dare to imagine. Forgiveness is so much better. And I think that Jesus not only brings forgiveness to us 
in our individual lives, but I see in this story that he creates a community of forgiveness, and that is really important. Right at the end of the story, so Jesus announces forgiveness to this guy, and it's kind of a, a new facet of meeting Jesus in Mark chapter 2. And then the very next story that, Jesus te- that Mark tells about Jesus is calling this guy named Levi, who was a tax collector, and then Jesus is throwing a banquet with Levi and all of his tax collectors, sinner, unwelcome, outcast friends. It is a community of the forgiven, right? And here's why I think that this is so important. Because when we receive experience, when we receive forgiveness as an individual, it's a real act that Jesus does in our lives to restore relationship with him. But the way that we receive an experience that I think winds up being a mindset or a mood. We understand that we are forgiven or we feel forgiven. And the problem with my, and this is good, it's in accordance with the truth of Jesus' forgiveness, but if that's all that we, all the way we experience it, minds and moods change a lot, right? And so there's an opportunity for us to begin to doubt our forgiveness. But Jesus embodies our relationship with him. He embodies the forgiveness in a community of forgiveness that receives it together and practices it with one another. And so as as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are baptized into the community of God as we're going to celebrate a baptism actually in our next service this morning. And it's this physical, visible thing. The whole community can say, Jesus called you his own right here among us. I was there. I saw it. It happened. Jesus welcomes us to his table. We come to this physical, visible celebration where he invites us to the table, to the dinner table in the family of God. Go, I'm a part of that community, right? We come together and worship and we rub shoulders with one another. We're in this space and we talk with one another and pray with one another and you are a part of the people of God. And maybe you leave this place and go, like, but what if I don't think so anymore? And like, what if I don't feel like it anymore? Because these are the things that happen to us, right? We can go, no, no, you are actually a part of a community that receives and experiences and practices the forgiveness of God together. So even when you don't feel like it, God's forgiveness of you has not become any less real. Jesus' forgiveness creates a community of forgiveness. And maybe this is why he even teaches us to pray in our Lord's Prayer. When we pray together as a people, our Father, right in the middle of that prayer, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin or trespass against us. He creates a community of forgiven people who forgive one another. We become in this way not only a community of disciples of Jesus, but a community discipled to Jesus. Does that make sense? how important that is for us to be that together. So, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite us to share together in a community practice of forgiveness, to, to receive this and commit ourselves in, to this together. And so there's an opportunity for us to confess our sins and hear the good news of Jesus' forgiveness and restoration for us. So don't move yet, because it'll get real loud as soon as you do, and I want to give you some instructions. But in a second, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to use the kneelers that are in front of you. If you are new to church, I know this is weird to like kneel down like this, but it's the practice of our community, a tradition or a custom of ours that helps us be humble before God and embody our dependence on him. Maybe in just like 1% way, even identify with the man who was carried on the mat in the story. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to do that. And then I will pray a prayer on our behalf, a prayer of coming to Jesus and depending on him. I will leave then a moment of silence for us in our own hearts to reflect before God, and then we will join together in a prayer of confession 
before we hear the good news of Jesus' forgiveness and healing for us and continue in our worship of God. So if you would like to, if you are able, you can use the kneelers in front of you. I'm going to kneel right up here. Lord Jesus, we believe that there is hope and that there is healing in you. That you have called us here to your house, to your presence, and sometimes other people have even carried us to you. And we don't deserve you, but we do need you. We pray together. We have sinned, we have left you, we have trusted ourselves. We have broken faith with you and failed to love one another. Forgive us and heal us, we pray. Amen.